Sojourn J-Town. It is good for the Midtown brother to be in the house today. I'm so glad to be here. I got to give a shout out to my man, uh, Mason, Officer Mason, as, as I know him. Um, he rolled up on me in uh, Shelby Park uh, the, the, a couple weeks ago. And I thought he was uh, there to get me. He was just uh, saying hi. So uh, it, it, it scared me. I thought he found out about that. What? No, no, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm above reproach, everybody. Um, so uh, as it's a tradition, let's go ahead and uh, uh, stand for the reading of God's word. We are um, um, continuing on with our series in the book of Acts, and uh, we now find ourselves in Acts chapter 18, picking up in verse 18 through 28. You can follow along with me on the screen. All right, Luke writes, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Syncria because, he had, because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where he, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and uh, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he, only, uh, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents, his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious eternal Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak in this place. We pray, Lord, that you would um, enlighten our hearts, that we may not leave this place the same as we came in. Lord, would you strengthen your people? Will you reawaken us, Lord, that we may behold the beautiful vision of Christ? While we pray this in the name of the Master, Jesus. Amen. All right, so you all can uh, just go ahead and have a seat, and uh, let's go ahead and get into the Word. This is a very interesting uh, portion of Scripture, a very interesting portion of Acts 18, uh, very difficult to figure out what Paul, uh, what Luke is doing in this text. I think this is why Lyle told me, you go ahead and take care of it. I'm going to take a break this week. Uh, I appreciate that, Lyle. Thanks for the setup here. Thanks for the setup. So, so because uh, this is um, such a, a stark difference in sections, and that's the way I'm going to preach it. We're not going to try to make them uh, stick together and make sense. Uh, listen, there's going to be two points here that I really want us to see, and those two points are going to be uh, in relationship to uh, uh, Luke's writing here. So the first thing I really want to get at here is, and the first thing I want us to know before we go in is that God is in the details of our lives, even when we don't see it. 
God is in the detail of your life and in my life, even when we don't don't see it and even when we don't feel it. This is very important because we spend so much of our time or spend so much of my time only seeing God in the things that are apparent to me. Only in things that are extraordinary to me. And what we see here is that what Luke records is not particularly extraordinary about what Paul is doing. The second thing I want us to see is that, is that um, we are in deep need, in desperate need, dare I say, of one another. I love what I'm hearing about, what Josh talked about earlier, with calling the, uh, the, the church into a continued community. We need each other. I need you. We're not just pews in the, in, in the seat. I need to hear what you have to say to me. I need you. And so we're going to see that in the second section here. And so if there's one thing that I want you to walk away with, one uh, point of, of confidence that I want you to walk away with, listen, the Christian, we can have great confidence in our lives that God is guiding our every step behind the scenes. He's behind the scenes of everything that's going on in our lives. He's behind the scenes in terms of being with us, being in front of us, being around us. No matter how puzzling life may seem, no matter how meticulous the event may be, God is in the thing. And also God regularly uses people in order to help us, help guide us in life. And so we're just going to go ahead and jump into it. So first, uh, the first point, we're going to look at verses 18 through 23. What does life look like when the church is scattered? What does life look like once you leave this place this morning and when you go to your homes and you go through Sunday through Sunday at the church through Saturday? So God guides the Christian scattered. Let's pick up in verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. I want us to hear this, uh, hear how Luke is writing this. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he, uh, before he sailed, he had his haircut. Paul had taken a vow. What is, that all, what is that all about, Paul? We don't know. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into a synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. He said, no, I got to go. 21, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. I don't know if I'm going to come back, but if it's God's will, let me just put this in layman's term, I'm going to come back. See, sometimes we over we mystify Paul. We over mystify this thing. This is regular talk from a godly man. Look, I don't know, but I may be back. All right. He says, then he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went to Jerusalem and greeted the church there. And then he went up to, um, uh, to Antioch, which technically went down to Antioch, but uh, geographically he's going up. After spending uh, some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Okay, Luke, what in the world are you doing here? What are you doing in this section? This is a very interesting passage because there's a lot going on in this passage, but there seems to be a lot of uh, busyness with no rhyme or reason. He's just kind of just describing what Paul is doing. Why does he condense it in this manner? He covers a whole year and a half of this brother's life in just a few verses. And there's nothing particularly extraordinary that's standing out to me as I'm reading this. That's the interesting thing about it because Paul, because Luke is looking at this and he's saying that, listen, it is not extraordinary, but this is what happened and it's worth recording. It's worth recording. The, the ordinary stuff that goes on in our life is worth recording. It's worth noting. It's worth all of that. And if we're honest this morning, we have to admit that most of the time we don't see God in the ordinary areas of our lives. 
If I'm honest this morning, it is very difficult for me to see God in the ordinary places of our life. It's only when the extraordinary things are going on. As you see, it's, 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 it's hard to get excited about the NBA season when the NBA championship is over. It's, it's, it's hard to get excited about football right now, especially if your team lost during the offseason. What do we do during the off-season? How is God moving during the off-season? And this very much feels like an off-season in Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 22, 23. And so he's recording this, and he's saying that this is very important, and, and, and God is, is using this thing even though it may not seem apparent. As a matter of fact, I, I think that the more that I have lived life myself, the more I, I see that, Lord, I spend more time in the ordinary places of life than I do in the extraordinary places of life. And when I spend more time in the ordinary, if I don't have a right perspective, and if we don't have a right perspective of that, it has a tendency to dull the sharpness of our faith. It has a tendency to say that, Lord, calls us to question in our life, Lord, are you there? Lord, are you real? Lord, are you guiding me? Are you with me? See, when things, life is not a straight line and not an obvious straight line of progressing and moving forward. When life is not linear, we tend to struggle with faith. We tend to struggle with a sense of God's presence. But the more I've lived in life, the more I've realized that, no, life is actually, most of the time, is not linear. It's not a straight line. Most of the time, it's actually more like a maze. There's turns, you going back and forth, you moving, you have no idea what's next. Listen to how Paul, I'm gonna just run this down. Listen, listen to the different turns and you tell me if this sounds linear to you. He stays a while in Corinth. He goes over and sails to Syria. Some refugees join him that he didn't know, but now they're with him, Priscilla and Aquila. He takes a vow. He has a good time at Ephesus, but yet refuses to stay. He goes to Caesarea, he stops in Jerusalem, he goes down to Antioch and he travels from place to place. That doesn't sound very uh, linear. It doesn't sound like a straight line to me. And that's actually what most of life is. It is all over the place and God is still in it, but it is all over the, uh, of the, uh, the place. Scripture also records that Paul tried to get into Asia three different times, but the Spirit said, nah, brother, you're not going to Asia. That's for somebody else. It's not a straight line. Life is like a maze. Life so much like amazed. I got married to my wife in 2004, my beautiful bride, 2004. We've been together, um, uh, been married now for uh, 14, uh, 13 years. Uh, so, so I want you to hear the narrative of my life and, and some of my maids. Uh, we, we moved 13 times, meaning that we lived in 13 different houses in an apartment. We lived in five different states across the entire country. We attended eight institutions of higher education with only four degrees to show for it. So somebody's math is off. Uh, I, I didn't know that. I just kept changing my mind. I'm sorry, Desiree. Um, we, we've had um, two beautiful uh, children. We've had two dogs. And uh, now we are in Louisville getting ready to plan out to the Bay, California. That doesn't sound very straight lineish to me. But, the, but when we look back at our lives and we look back over the last 13 years of our lives, we say that everything was working together to get us to this place that we are right now, that I may be in Louisville, Kentucky. Everything that, uh, that we're looking at, it's like a domino effect. Every single thing was, was uh, leading to this point. 
When God says that all things work together up for the good of those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose, this is, this is true. And you can look back at your own narrative, at your own life, and see God's faithfulness in that. Without this, this wouldn't happen. Without that, this, was, this is why the mundane, this is why the ordinary, this is why these uh, seasons of our lives, the off-season, is so important. Because God is using it to get you to where he wants you to be, that you may be in the position that he wants you to be. And so all of this led to us being in, uh, getting ready to plant in California. This is God's doing. Uh, we are encouraged by that. Life is like a maze where we don't know what's going on. But, but God did not leave us in this life to blindly uh, move around and, and to blindly go through this maze without uh, any guidance. In John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says to his disciples. He's encouraging them. I will not leave you. He says to his, to his, uh, to his believers that, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I won't do that. I'm with you every step of the way, even in life when you don't feel any particular direction in life, when you're simply living in the mundane. John 14, 26, what does he do? He says that I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you an advocate. He's going to bring to remembrance the things that I've taught you. You are not alone. This is where the enemy tries to get us. This is where the enemy tries to, it's, it's in the silence of our minds. It's in the off seasons. It's in our thoughts that the enemy tries to discourage us and say that God is not with you. God is not really with you. He's not really present. This is so important for this generation to understand this because it's in this generation that we're going to realize that, wait a minute, things feel silent. But God is still the God in the silence. Do you hear what I'm saying? I just watched the movie Silence and I saw the commentary that they're bringing in. It's a very interesting film. But I could not help but to think that as the author is writing, I mean, as the author and the director are bringing this movie out and kind of making the points of this movie, I'm looking, he's, they're taking advantage of the fact that most Christians live in their heads. Most of us, we may live in our heads. See, one of the best things that I learned as a Christian is that sometimes you got to learn how to preach to yourself and not allow, and stop telling yourself, stop talking. I'm going to start talking. This is where we spend most of our life. Most of our life is in the silence. It's in the stuff that's not going on, and in, not in the spectacular. And that's where we have to be prepared to most, to live in faith in our Lord. We have so many reasons to do so. We, we, we're not like the judged Israelites in, uh, in our brother Isaiah's book in chapter 59. He writes in Isaiah, in uh, verse 10, he says that like the blind, we grope along the wall, filling our way like people without eyes. No, that's not our situation here. At midday, we stumble as if we were twilight among the strong. We are like the dead. This was God's judgment to the people of Israel. Of, of, of Israel. They had no direction. They had no sense of God's presence, and they groped around like people without eyes. Now, listen here. I understand that sometimes life may feel that way, and I can say that sometimes in my life, I had seasons that felt that way, definitely. See, but we have a God who actually guides us through the maze of life. See, the encouragement that we have here is that, that, that God is present in our unknowns. God, he's present. He, 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 is the, he is the known. He is the known of our unknowns. He's present in our what next. He is the what next of our what next. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
God is present. He's with us. He's guiding us. And this is the promise that he gives us. This is what's going to ground us when we're going through life during the off seasons, when we're going through the maze of life. We declare with the psalmist as Paul even demonstrated in his own life in Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. It is the Lord who stands up from a 30,000-foot view looking over the, uh, over the grid, and he's guiding you through it. He's not only of, uh, over it, he's in it. That's the beauty of our God being omnipresent. Amen. This is a true invitation here for, for us to recognize God's presence in the, maze, in the maze of life. Listen. I want you to do this. We get jobs, we lose jobs, or move on to another place of employment because of a preference, or maybe we got fired. That's okay. The law will encourage you to. He's encouraged me in my life as well. Listen, we have kids. We become empty nesters. We, we, we have trials. We survive trials. We enroll in college. We drop out of college. We do life. We go to and fro. We do life. And God is just as much uh, concerned with those parts of your life than he is when things are making the most sense and we're on top, top of the mountain. That's our encouragement this morning. God is in that maze with us. And you know what? The maze is also a beautiful picture of how God holds our story. See, we only see what's in front of us, but God sees everything. God holds your story. God your story matters. When I'm talking about life, I'm talking about how, this, uh, how to make sense of life. We're talking about our stories. And every last one of us have a story. Before we came into this place, we have a story. We have things that happen to us in our life. We have things that help shape us and shape who we are. We have things that make up our, our person. We have things that we're actually in bondage to because of our stories and we have to come out of. That's our story. God holds that. But the story is not just for you. Your story, as we're going to see here in a, section, in a second, we have to share that story. We have to share ourselves with people. We have to enter into community. But we have a God that's a God of amaze because he loves us. And he guides us through. The second thing I want us to see here is that God works with his people and through his people. This is the hard stop that Luke does. Luke gives us this, this summary of Paul that we can learn from and glean from, that God is using those things that are not particularly like, extraordinary. But then we have Paul talking about these mysterious characters, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos, particularly Apollos. And so right now we're going to look at God works in the Christian gathered, when Christians get together. Not just Christians scattered, but the Christian gathered. So let's go ahead and uh, pick up in verse 24 through 28. Luke writes, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos. Now, meanwhile, and was, this is what's going on in Ephesus. Paul leaves Ephesus, and this is what's going on in Ephesus. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Through, uh, though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples uh, there to welcome him. 
When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, so, so now we have Paul off the scene, and now we have our concentration zeroing in on Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. Now, it's very interesting how God will use Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila, they're actually excommunicated from Rome in AD 41 by the Emperor Claudius. He kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. And as a result of that being a part of their story, they end up as refugees moving about. And then as they're moving about, they run into the Apostle Paul as God wanted. We call that divine appointments as, as, uh, from where I'm from. God divinely appointed that they would meet. And then they go from Rome. It's very significant here because they belonged in Rome, but God would have them. He appointed them to talk to one of the most powerful preachers in New Testament, in the New Testament or in Christian history. And that's this brother Apollos, who for some reason has left Alexandria. The center of culture and of intellectualism, he's from there. And now he finds himself in Ephesus and we have no idea why he got there, but he's there. And God is bringing this thing together. We see here that God uses the stuff of people. God uses you and God uses me. I need you and you need me. And so I want us to look at two principles in particular as we're looking at what's going on with their lives. One, all of us have holes in our theology. All of us have holes in our theology, no matter how big and bad you think you are, no matter how many A's you got at seminary, no matter how many times, how long you've been studying the scripture, all of us have holes in our theology and we need to address those holes. So let's talk about it. So you have, um, you have um, Apollos, who Luke is very impressed with. He's the only one in Scripture in the New Testament that is given this type of description, given this type of resume. Let's check out this resume. He says that he was a learned man. That means his brother went to school. It says he, he, was a, he had thorough knowledge of, of the Scriptures. That means his brother had devotion every single morning, okay? Uh, he, he wasn't skipping mornings. He had this devotion. He, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. That means that he, that's an Old Testament uh, a saying. That means that he was able to see the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was able to make those links, okay? I, I still need my Old Testament professors to wow me with those connections, okay? He knew the connections, and he spoke with great fervor. Now, this brother, no, 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 no. He, he's not stuffy. He's not an intellectual, uh, intellect on, on a stick on the brain. No, this brother preached the word of God. He was a preacher. And so he says that this is who ends up in Ephesus. But the brother is still in transition. That's what I want to see. With all of that glory, with all of that beauty, with all of that, that's the good stuff of the resume, he was still in transition. He's still in transition from Judaism to Jesus. He's still trying to work out his theology as to what the scriptures mean and who Jesus is, particularly when it comes to this issue of baptism. As he was baptizing, he was baptizing in the name of John. He was baptizing in the name of a person that said that there is a Messiah coming. But no, there is a baptism that declares that the Messiah has already come. And those who place their trust in him will, be, will die with him and raise with him in glorious triumph. 
That's the baptism, that, that's the gospel baptism, the gospel-saturated uh, baptism. And his theology was a little off in that area. And it says that when Priscilla and Quilla heard this, they like, that's some good stuff, brother, but we, we need to talk. <laughs> uh, no, no, don't get me wrong. You, you did good, but we need to talk. So when we're looking at this, the brother is in transition, and, and we're all in transition. The, the spirit is not done with us. Every now and then, I got to tell people that, give me some room, because the spirit ain't done with a brother yet. He's still working on me. So, so, so while we're looking at this, we're seeing that we're all in transition. We all have some, some, something, some type of theological hole in our system. The point is that we have to figure out how do we find those holes that are, that are causing us to think or act in a way that's contrary to the gospel? How do we locate those things? Because right now, I'm telling you, when the brother is preaching, he's not knowing what he's saying is off. See, it takes somebody from the outside to see and to watch and to be a part of our lives. You have to be known. You, you, you have to be known, and the only way to be known is to be in community. And, and I can't tell you how often I've seen this in my years of uh, being in ministry, how much we don't want to be known or people, we, we're very private people sometimes. No, I, I can't show you that thing. No, I don't want to show you that. No, I don't want to let you in. But listen, and I may be talking to somebody right now, listen, God has provided you a means to grace whereby you can get free of some of the things or for some of the reasons that you don't want to open up. God has provided a means of grace through community that you may be free of some of the things that keeps us in bondage. We have to be known. We have to be in community because we all don't have it together. Paul recognized this in his own life. In Philippians 3, chapter 12, he's, he recognizes that, listen, I don't even have it together. The most successful, the most decorated Christian of all time says that, listen, I don't have it together. Verse 12 and in chapter 3, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold uh, of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, I'm still pressing towards the goal. I'm still pressing towards, uh, towards the, the high goal in Christ. I am not done yet. God is not done working with me yet, and I need some help with this thing. None of us have arrived. We need some blood spots. Listen here, I want, I want to talk to you for a second. Look to your neighbor. That means left or right, take your choice. Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Are we going to do this again? Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I got some blood spots. Neighbor, I got some blind spots. I need your help in pointing them out. I know it's a mouthful. That's all right. We, we got blind spots, and we need help pointing those blind spots out. This is the beauty of what we see, even with this decorated preacher. So secondly, I want us to observe here that we must help each other to think rightly. We must help each other to point those blind spots out. This is what we see in the example of Priscilla and Aquila. This is mutual discipleship with one another. Discipleship is not always hierarchical. I'm over you and I'm taking you under my wing. No, you know, I didn't have people say, hey, man, I just want to just want to. No, nah, brother. No, nah, you ain't my pastor. No, nah, no, no. It's mutual 
discipleship. We together and working together. There, there, there is, um, uh, we, we hold one another, lock arms side by side. Galatians 6, 2, Paul says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Philippians 2.14, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We cannot be inwardly focused. He wants us to be outwardly focused, looking at our brothers and sisters while still assessing ourselves. That's what I love about what Josh is saying regarding the community groups. Community groups is a beautiful invitation to lock arms and get involved. And if you're not in part of a community group, I encourage you, and this scripture is encouraging, get a part of community because you need it. When Priscilla and Quilla... Let's look at what they did. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him in church, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now, listen here. That's not an invitation for y'all to stop Lyle in the middle of his preaching if you disagree with him, okay? I just want to put that out there. If it happens, don't blame it on me. In our times of fellowship, we, we have to avoid the temptation um, uh, to... to, uh, to um, we have to avoid the temptation uh, to stay away from the awkward. Excuse me. We have to avoid the, the temptation to make sure that everything remains lighthearted. I was just in, in fellowship uh, with someone, and every time somebody comes over my house, typically I'm like, I don't want this to get awkward, and so we may want to think about how deep we're going to get. This is saying that, listen, this culture is so filled with PC and political correctness. And I'm not talking about the political scene. I'm just saying that making sure that we say what's right, making sure that if we're talking uh, and we're in one another's homes, talk about the favorite, your favorite movie, talk about your favorite show, talk about the, keep things laughing, keep it lighthearted, but do not point out the things that, that are screaming at you, that I must say something about this to my brother or to my sister. No, no, no. Christian, real, true Christian community presses into that. And says, hey, listen, it's okay. The Christian can say, listen, it's okay for things to get a little awkward right now. It's okay. I'm okay with awkward. Paul was okay with awkward. When you look at what he said in Galatians 2 and putting Peter, my boy Peter, Cephas and all, Barnabas and all of them on front street and say that, listen, y'all sinned. Y'all was uh, sinning against your brother. Now I'm going to put you on front. He says that I oppose them to their face. Paul don't mind a little controversy. We have to be okay with a little awkwardness if we're going to properly serve one another. But I love the way that he does, the way that they do it. They didn't do it at the time. They said that, hey, let me invite you into my home. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Let's get to know your story. You're from Africa. Okay, let's, get to, let's talk a little bit more. Okay, good. Hey, they brought him in, the, in, in, the, in their homes privately, and they built relationship with him, and then they addressed that issue that they had with them. Hey, I want to address something that I heard you say. Let's talk. That's the invitation for all of us in here. Let's get into relationship with one another that we may do community, but we do it in a gentle and loving way that our brothers and sisters may be restored properly to right thinking. There are areas in our lives where we have to preach the gospel to ourselves, and we need somebody to preach the gospel to us. There are areas, there are things, there are thoughts, there are tapes that goes on in our minds that continue to tell us, don't trust God in this area. Or God is not good. The Bible says that God will withhold no good thing from those whom he loves. There are times in our lives where we say that, Lord, I believe that you're withholding something good from me. Why do we believe that? 
what, what's going on in our theological system, and whether it be, uh, be of the mind or of the heart, we need community that we may be able to write that way of thinking or be accountable in our actions. Something at the other end of that is that there's always growth at the other end of discipleship. It says that after the brother, after he enters into community with Priscilla and Aquila, after that, he is commended and he begins to, it frees him up to be on mission even more. It frees him up to do more powerful mission. It frees him up to advance the kingdom of God more adequately, more effectively as a result of going through mutual discipleship. Listen, I know that sometimes, and, and, and if I were honest in my own life, sometimes it's hard to remove band-aids or it's hard for someone to, to, sit, to, to say certain things to me. But listen, every single time in my life, I've become the better for it. I've, I've grown and become more like Jesus as a result of it. This brother, as a result of that, he became more like Jesus and then his ministry flourished, even so much so that Paul begins to write about it in the book of Corinthians. The cost may feel expensive up front, but it pays for itself in the process of discipleship and maturity. Coming alongside people and discipleship, it takes grace and patience and humility, but it's for our good. Here's the questions I leave us with today. What are those things right now what are those, what's going on in your life right now where you're, where you're finding it difficult to believe that God is with you? What's going on in your life right now where you're finding it difficult to believe that God is with you? And secondly, do you need to get into community? And if you do, are there things that you need to say? Are there things that you need to open up? Are there, are there, things, are, are there ways in which you need to be more vulnerable that you have not been, that you may receive the proper balm that comes from Christian community. The invitation that we have today is to enter into uh, trusting God. And if you haven't trusted God, if, if you're still on the, the, uh, the fence of Christianity, kind of looking over and trying to figure out what Christianity is all about, I want to tell you that, that life over on this side, we have such a great assurance that, that our God, he, he's, he's, he's guiding us, he's with us, he's directing our paths. See, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to God. No one gets to the Father except they come through me. We find true life and true purpose for life when we are in Jesus. So we invite you to explore that more in community with the pastors of the church, with the friend, your friends or whoever brought you here. But there's also an invitation to deep community with one another, but also to sup on the, the mercies of Christ provided from the community, the community that he's invited us in to through his own body. We're reminded of this every week when we take communion. Jesus has invited us into community where he shows his love for us and he demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus says that, listen, not only am I going to give you my word, not only am I going to give you my spirit as a comforter, not only am I going to give you those things, those means of grace to show you that I'm with you, I'm going to give you the demonstration of my life and I'm going to die for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not die but have everlasting life. My demonstration to that is my life. 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples, said, eat. This is my body. I give it to you. Likewise, he took the cup of wine and poured and said that this is the blood of my new covenant, spilled for you, given for you. Take and drink. And as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Ladies and gentlemen, um, brothers and sisters particularly, we ask if you're not a believer, we ask that you abstain from taking communion. But we do invite you into fellowship, in the fellowship of Christianity. But if you are a Christian here, we're invited this morning to sup on the mercies of Christ, to think about what he's done for you, and to take hold of the assurance that he is with you in the mundane seasons of life. And he's also inviting us into the beauty of community. Let's pray.